from 90.3 RLC WPH FM Piscataway. It's the Core News. This week on the Core News, we welcome you back with the President's State of the Union. We've got some analysis, and we tell you what he said. You'll hear all about a recycling event that took place earlier this week. We'll get some environmental and eco news from everybody's favorite Nana. And, of course, the entertainment rundown. But first, here's Amy Bronstein. She's got an update on what's happening in Egypt and Tunisia. And, of course, the war update on Iraq and Afghanistan. Here's Amy Bronstein. In Iraq on Tuesday, January 18th, a suicide bombing outside a Tikrit police recruiting station killed 49 people, including members of the Iraqi police force and prospective recruits. On Monday, January 24th, attacks against Shia pilgrims to Karbala killed over 85. This pilgrimage, in memory of a Shia martyr, was banned under the government of Saddam Hussein and has become a target for Sunni insurgents since the American invasion in 2003. On Thursday, January 27th, a bomb at a funeral killed 48, and the New York Times said survivors protested and fired warning shots at the police, who they say failed to protect them. In Afghanistan, on Wednesday, January 26th, President Hamid Karzai finally opened Parliament after months of delays amid corruption allegations. On Sunday, January 29th, Afghanistan pledged to the UN to stop recruiting underage boys into their police forces an unfortunate effect of the nationwide push to recruit Afghan police and military personnel. Also, alleged WikiLeaker Bradley Manning is still held in pretrial detention at Quantico Air Base in Virginia. His supporters say that suicide watch measures, including solitary confinement since his May 2010 arrest, have been arbitrarily imposed as a pretrial punishment. Following a demonstration in support of Manning, Military personnel further stripped Manning down to his boxer shorts, took his eyeglasses, and detained all of his visitors. Some supporters have equated this kind of treatment with torture and claimed that it is unconstitutional. January 2011, across the Middle East, but in Tunisia and Egypt in particular, has seen people demonstrating in the streets against unemployment, high food prices, as well as a lack of basic democratic freedoms. The protests in Tunisia were sparked when a street vendor set himself on fire out of despair after the police confiscated his produce cart, his sole means of support for his family. The self-immolation sparked a nerve and the ensuing protests were enough to drive Ben Ali, Tunisia's longtime ruler, from power. Egypt followed suit, with demonstrations sweeping through Cairo, Alexandria, Suez, and the rest of the country since the end of Friday prayers on January 28th. These demonstrations are in spite of a tradition of brutal repression of protests by Egypt's police and secret police. The demonstrators have been calling for the resignation of President Hosni Mubarak, who has ruled Egypt as president for 30 years. However, Egypt is a powerful U.S. ally in the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, and the U.S. has not yet joined the people of Egypt in calling for Mubarak's resignation and new elections. I'm Amy Bronstein with a Core News War Update. And you're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. Last week, something new showed up at Rutgers, and something new has been added to the way we recycle here. To tell us more about it, here's your friend Norton. Hey, Norton here. Notice anything new on campus? You should. 
Monday, January 24th, saw the unveiling of three, count them, three new recycling receptacles. And these are not just any recycling bins. No, these are dream machines. According to the PepsiCo website, the Dream Machine Recycling Initiative is a multi-year collaboration with Waste Management, Keep America Beautiful, and Greenopolis, designed to give people a convenient and rewarding way to recycle on the go. Eileen Ryan, the Rutgers account rep for Waste Management, says the Dream Machine is designed to get people interested in recycling by using Greenopolis.com and a rewards program each time a person recycles. I was on hand for the inaugural day of this interesting piece of hardware, and I have to say the machine is pretty fun to use. All you do is get a rewards card from the machine, scan it, then scan the barcode of the bottle or can you're about to recycle, toss it into the proper side of the machine, and earn your points. It's that simple. And it's five points for each piece you recycle. Once you have time to log on to the website, you can visit greenopolis.com, finish your registration, and start getting something back for your green behavior. On Monday, Eileen was showing curious students just what kind of rewards can be redeemed with your recycling points. Among them are movie tickets, a printer, donations to charities of your choice, and coupons for establishments in your area. Jean Schaub, Livingston custodial foreperson, said she believes the Dream Machine will bring awareness to Recyclemania because it is a toy and students will want to use it. Recyclemania, which was also promoted at this event, is an eight-week recycling competition happening all over America. Colleges and universities compete from February 6th until April 2nd to see who has the least amount of trash and who has recycled the most. Since recycling is mandatory in the state of New Jersey, this little competition not only raises school awareness of environmental responsibility, but also gives the university credit for recycling. In addition to the unveiling of the Dream Machines and promoting Recyclemania, information about waste management was offered. Waste management is basically the biggest garbage and recycling collection company in North America. According to their website, they provide integrated environmental solutions by working with their customers and communities to manage and reduce waste from collection to disposal. They work alongside schools, colleges, and universities to get the word out about recycling. For example, Eileen Ryan runs ideas by Jean Schaub and her supervisor, Diane Gravatt, the Director of Environmental Services and Grounds at Rutgers, to see which ones will work best. In this case, the idea of teaching recycling at Rutgers was supported by the fact that Rutgers has a student base of 35,000. Last but not least, Jean and Diane were on site to hand out flyers informing students about Rutgers' single-stream recycling program. For those of you not in the know or around last Monday, single-stream recycling is when most recyclable materials on campus can be thrown into one receptacle. That means if you have something plastic with a triangle and a number 1 through 7, it's recyclable and can be tossed into the single-stream recycling bins found around campus. Cans, paper, and cardboard are now also tossed into the same bin. And as a special message from Jean Schaub to the students, recycle your pizza boxes. Yes, the little single slice ones from Sbarro are in fact recyclable. If you're wondering what else we recycle at Rutgers or you want to know more about single stream recycling, check out www.fms.rutgers.edu slash fmsprograms.recyclingprogram.html or just search for Rutgers Recycling. And that has been Recycling News with Norton. 
Hello, everybody. This is Andrew WK. You're tuned in and listening to RLCWVPH Piscataway. My name is Andrew WK, as I said earlier, and you are listening to the news on 90.3 The Core. And here I am, Nana, or else, with your 90.3 The Core environmental and eco news update. You got that? All right. Well, you know, there's been this fracking uh, deliberations going on with the Delaware River Basin Commission. They're trying to figure out how they're going to allow freaking fracking to happen in their Delaware River Basin. Well, the Delaware River Basin Commission has posted the venues and dates for the public hearings the agency promised to de- schedule as it deliberates and fine-tunes the hydraulic fracturing rules for the basin. February 22nd, it's in two places. It's in Honesdale, Pennsylvania at the high school. It's at Liberty High School in Liberty, New Jersey. February 24th, it's at Patriots Theater at the War Memorial in Trenton. Each of these venues will have two times, 1.30 to 5 p.m. and 6 p.m. to 9.30. The Delaware River Basin Commission estimates that 75 people per time period will have a chance to present testimony. And you need to register to testify. And registration is on a first-come, first-served basis and will begin an hour before each session. All right? This is important because when they frack, they take tons of water and they add sand and chemicals and whatever. And then they <laughs> they drill rocks to try to get at the minerals so that you can heat your home and drive your... Yeah, basically. Yeah. Think about it. Think about solar panel. <laughs> Panels are something better. I'm sorry, but it's just wrong. This is wrong. If you've ever seen any videos online where people are, um, you know, this, there's this guy, he, he takes a lighter and he sets the water coming out of his faucet on fire. Yeah. <laughs> I can't tell you how strongly people should go out to these meetings and voice their concerns. I'm posting this on my Facebook and my MySpace, Nana Rock On, and I'll be uh, putting it on the radio's Facebook too. These meetings are important. Now, are you ready? This is really big, this news I'm going to give you now. Rutgers Recycle Mania 2011 officially begins February 6th. We're in a preseason time right now that began January 23rd. So are you recycling? Hmm. First of all, recycle for points right here on Livingston campus. It's that big blue recycling machine in the food court. It's easy and fun and you get points. You get points for good stuff. Also, check out the single stream recycle containers all around campus. Have you seen them? <laughs> They're like chrome. They're beautiful. One-stop recycling for all your recycling needs. And here's what you can recycle. This is the fast list, okay? Newspaper, office paper, food boxes, mail, magazines, plastic bottles, steel and aluminum cans, empty food containers, hardcover books, and pizza boxes. Pizza boxes. Throw them in the streamlined, single-stream recycle containers all around campus. Recycle mania. Make it a way of life. And with all your recycling efforts, Rutgers will win. Recycle Mania. Yeah, yeah. Did last year. We should do it again. All right, so there you go. There's your eco news update. This is 90.3 The Core.
You're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core, streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm. When The Core News returns, you'll hear about the President's State of the Union address and get your environmental, excuse me, get your entertainment update. You're listening to The Core News on 90.3 The Core. We'll be right back. Democracy Now! is moving to the morning. Tune in at 5 a.m. every Tuesday through Saturday to hear Amy Goodman on 90.3 The Core. Questions and comments can be directed to generalmanager at thecore.fm. That's generalmanager at thecore.fm. Interested in radio? 90.3 The Core will be holding its Spring General Interest Meeting on Wednesday, February 2nd. Learn about becoming a DJ, joining our news team, promoting the station, or just hear some great new music. If you're interested, join us on Wednesday, February 2nd at 9.30 p.m. in the Livingston Classroom Building, Room 110. For more information, please visit thecore.fm. This is The Core News on 90.3 The Core. So... Last week, President Obama delivered his State of the Union address. In Article 2, Section 3, Clause 1, the U.S. Constitution states that the President shall, from time to time, give to the Congress information on the State of the Union and recommend to their, recommend to their consideration such measures as he shall judge necessary and expedient. We're used to seeing the President deliver the State of the Union address in person on TV, but that was not always the case. The first two presidents, George Washington and John Adams, delivered their speeches in person. But Thomas Jefferson sent his in writing, December 8, 1801. He wasn't a slacker. He just reportedly thought the practice was too reminiscent of the British monarchy. Presidents delivered the State of the Union in writing for over a century, until 1913, when Woodrow Wilson decided, once again, to do it live. Since then, most presidents have followed his example, with a few exceptions, including Richard Nixon... Jimmy Carter and Ronald Reagan, who each chose to deliver one of their State of the Union speeches in writing. Americans have been watching State of the Union speeches on TV, or grumbling about the change in programming, since 1947. But they've been able to hear it on the radio since 1923, which was only 10 years after presidents again began delivering it in person, rather than on paper. It was formerly known as the Annual Message, from 1790 to 1934, After that, they got a little more creative, and State of the Union Address became the official title under Harry Truman in 1947. But the first president to call it the State of the Union Address was Franklin Delano Roosevelt a few years earlier. In 1965, Lyndon B. Johnson began the tradition of delivering the address in the evening. In 1966, the television networks provided the Republican Party with a half-hour slot after the address, which was the first time the address was followed by an opposition response. Senator Everett Dirksen of Illinois and Representative Gerald Ford of Michigan delivered the first opposition response. By 1976, TV networks were providing a slot for the opposition party almost immediately after the address. In 1986, President Ronald Reagan's State of the Union was rescheduled because of the Challenger disaster that took place earlier in the day. On another kind of grim note, each year, one member of the president's cabinet is absent from the address to maintain the line of succession in case of an emergency. The longest address was Taft's in 1910, about 27,000 words, and the shortest, 
George Washington in 1790, somewhere between 800 and 1,000. The average length in the 19th century was about 10,000 words. I know we all feel like these speeches can go on forever sometimes, but in the late 20th century, the average is about half that. To find out what President Obama said in his State of the Union address this year, we turn to Yashwanth Manjanath. The general theme of President Obama's State of the Union speech last week can be summed up by the phrase, win the future. It was a phrase Obama used repeatedly to defend his agenda moving forward. Winning the future, as Obama describes it, is about increasing American global competitiveness through investments in education, infrastructure, and research and development. Before going into detail about his plans to help America win the future, Obama spent the early part of his speech rattling off where America has fallen behind, how America has fallen to ninth in the world when it comes to the proportion of young people with a college degree, how countries in Europe and Asia invest more in their roads and railways than we do, how China is building faster trains than we are, how when our engineers graded our nation's infrastructure, they gave us a D and how South Korean homes now have greater internet access than we do. After rattling off America's recent failings, Obama called the current situation our, quote, Sputnik moment. The Cold War historical analogy is, of course, a reference to when the Soviets launched Sputnik in 1958, the first satellite to orbit the Earth. That one basketball-sized technological innovation ignited the 1960s space race. In his 1961 mission statement to Congress, President John F. Kennedy declared, quote, I believe that this nation should commit itself to achieving the goal before this decade is out of landing a man on the moon and returning him safely to the Earth. The space race ended with America victorious when Neil Armstrong became the first man to walk on the moon on July 21, 1969, and President Kennedy's vision was achieved. In invoking the space race, Obama rightfully pointed out that in addition to landing a man on the moon, the race itself unleashed a wave of innovation that spurred the creation of new industries and millions of new jobs. Unfortunately, Obama's goals for our modern Sputnik moment were not nearly as dramatic and grand as Kennedy's, but they would certainly improve global competitiveness and help revitalize the American economy. Obama's list of goals for the country include making it possible within the next five years for businesses to deploy the next generation of high-speed wireless coverage to 98% of all Americans, within 25 years to give 80% of Americans access to high-speed rail, become the first country to have 1 million electric vehicles on the road by 2015, and double American exports by 2014. In addition to calling for increased public sector spending, Obama further appeased his liberal base by calling for an end to oil and gas subsidies referring to the oil industry as yesterday's energy. To help silence his conservative critics, Obama called for slashing corporate tax rates and reforming the corporate tax code. He's also stated there would be a five-year freeze on all non-defense discretionary spending to help deal with the growing federal budget deficit and national debt. This call for fiscal austerity certainly seems to contradict Obama's call for increased government investments in innovation, infrastructure, and higher education, which begs the question, how are we going to pay for Obama's new vision? Finally, noticeably absent from the president's speech was talk of entitlement reform. It was rumored and has since been confirmed that Obama wanted to discuss cutting Social Security and Medicare benefits in his State of the Union address, but was talked out of it by liberal senators like Bernie Sanders of Vermont, 
whether or not Obama ends up working with Republicans anyway and destroying the greatest achievement of the New Deal remains to be seen. With the summary and analysis of the State of the Union Address, I'm Yashwant Manjanath. I'm Michelle Norris from NPR News, and you're listening to the news on 90.3 The Core. This is the Sherman Tank, and you're tuned into a new season of 90.3 The Core's Entertainment News. It's the last day of January, and that means two things. First, it means we're in the uh, middle of awards season, with the Golden Globes having already taken place and the Academy Awards coming up within the next month. I'll recap all that action for you in just a moment. But second, and most importantly, it is almost the one-year anniversary of the Entertainment News segment. The first segment was aired last year on February 1st, which is a year ago from tomorrow. So tonight I'll light a single candle on a cupcake in celebration. As for right now, though, let's start the year off the same way we did last year, with Golden Globe and Oscar news. The 68th annual Golden Globes were held on January 16th in the Beverly Hilton Hotel. The show is broadcast on NBC and hosted by British funny man and BBC television legend Ricky Gervais. More on him in a bit. The major television awards given out that night held few surprises. Boardwalk Empire, which I have not yet seen but am dying to, took home the Best Drama Award, while Glee won the Comedy Award and seems to be taking over for 30 Rock as the perennial bully in the comedy category. Steve Buscemi, who plays corrupt politician Nucky Thompson on Boardwalk Empire, snagged the Best Lead Actor in a Drama Award, while Glee stars Chris Colfer and Jane Lynch landed the Best Supporting Actor and Actress in a Comedy Awards, respectively. For me, the biggest surprise of the night in regards to the television awards was seeing that Breaking Bad was not nominated for Best Drama. I'm still a season behind on that show, but from what I'd heard from many critics and acquaintances, season three of Breaking Bad was the best thing on television this year. I guess the Hollywood foreign press disagrees. On the movie side of things, there were even less surprises. The Social Network was the undeniable winner of the night, taking home awards for Best Drama, Best Director for David Fincher, Best Screenplay for Aaron Sorkin, and Best Original Score for Trent Reznor and Atticus Ross. The King's Speech, which led the night with seven nominations, only ended up with the Best Lead Actor for Colin Firth. The Fighters swept the Supporting Actor-slash-Actress in a Drama Awards, with Christian Bale and Melissa Leo getting those. The Kids Are Alright did alright, having won Best Comedy or Musical, and Annette Bening beating out co-star Julianne Moore for Best Actress. The category I was most concerned with turned out pretty well. Natalie Portman, who was not only the Best Actress this year, but had put on one of the most incredible performances for an actress over the last decade in Darren Aronofsky's Black Swan, thankfully won the award for Best Lead Actress in a Drama. I still remember my level of disbelief when I watched the Academy snub Mickey Rourke in favor of Sean Penn in 2008 for Best Actor in a Leading Role, and if Natalie Portman didn't get her Golden Globe, I probably would have had the same bad taste in my mouth. But that all worked out okay, so now we just need to make sure she gets her Oscar. Before we move on to discussing the recently announced Oscar nominees, let's talk about Golden Globes host Ricky Gervais. Prior to the stir he caused at the Golden Globes, Gervais was most famous in America for being the guy who originally created and starred in the British version of The Office, which gave birth to the hugely successful American version starring Steve Carell. Anyway, the man did a phenomenal job hosting, in my opinion, Opinion, mainly because he didn't play it safe. Within the first two minutes of the show, he insulted Charlie Sheen's infamous drug habit, the acting of Johnny Depp and Angelina Jolie in The Tourist, both of whom were nominated for awards for those roles that night and were in the audience, Tom Cruise's sexuality, and many other things. I thought it was all hilarious, but the celebrities in the audience clearly didn't feel the same way. Very early in the show, they all stopped laughing at Gervais's jokes and started to neglect him when he was up on stage speaking. Some of them seemed to appreciate a sense of humor, though. Robert Downey Jr. came on stage to present the award for Best Lead Actress in a Comedy or Musical, traded a few quips with Gervais, said the winner of the award is usually somebody whom he had slept with before, and then told each of the nominees how he'd like to have sex with them, including 22-year-old Emma Stone. Later that night, Robert De Niro accepted the Cecil B. DeMille Lifetime Achievement Award and gave a raunchy speech of his own. I guess the veteran De Niro and Downey Jr. get hall passes for that kind of stuff because everybody seemed to eat it up. 
poor Ricky Gervais, though, is now banned from ever hosting the awards again and cannot have any of his feature films nominated for awards. It's sad that Hollywood can't take a joke anymore, but I'd say the sacrifice was definitely worth it because that was the funniest awards show since I've been born. Now let's move on to Oscar. The 83rd Annual Academy Awards will be held in four weeks on February 27th at the Kodak Theater in Hollywood. The nominees were announced on January 25th by actress Monique and the president of the Academy, Tom Sherrick. As usual, they're a considerable step up in quality from the Golden Globe nominees because they don't have separate categories for dramas and comedies. No nominations for Love and Other Drugs or The Tourist, and Alice in Wonderland received nothing but technical nominations for visual effects and the like. Most happily for me is that the Greek movie Dogtooth, which is certainly in my top three favorite movies of 2010, has been nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. Also a relief is that 14-year-old Haley Steinfeld, who did an absolutely phenomenal job in True Grit and put on the dominating performance of that movie in the midst of actors like Jeff Bridges, Matt Damon, and Josh Brolin, is nominated for Best Supporting Actress. Unfortunately, she was shut out of receiving a Golden Globe nomination, but now she's getting her due on a bigger stage. All is not perfect, of course. Ryan Gosling, star of Blue Valentine, who received the nomination for Best Actor at the Globes, was denied one here. Gosling definitely deserves a nomination, especially since co-star Michelle Williams is getting one in the actress category. More so than usual, there are a few no-brainers. I really don't see any way that The Social Network doesn't win Best Adapted Screenplay and Best Director, and will likely take home Best Picture and Best Original Score as well. Christian Bale is practically guaranteed the Best Supporting Actor award for his performance in The Fighter, and there's no way Colin Firth walks out of that theater without the Best Lead Actor award in his hands. I'm okay with all that. I personally stand behind James Franco's performance in 127 Hours as the Best of the Year, but I think Firth has that award locked down, and it's not as if he doesn't deserve it for his work in The King's Speech. I would love to see Haley Steinfeld win Best Supporting Actress and Black Swan win Best Cinematography, and I'll be sick to my stomach for Natalie Portman doesn't win Best Actress. Overall, this is a very good year of nominations, though. There's no Avatar, and by that I mean there's no movie that doesn't deserve to be nominated for anything but is just based on reputation. All ten Best Picture nominees, which are 127 Hours, Black Swan, The Fighter, Inception, The Kids Are Alright, The King's Speech, The Social Network, Toy Story 3, True Grit, and Winter's Bone are deserving, as are most of the acting nominees. I am very excited for February 27th. Bring it on. This has been the Sherman Tank with a weekly update of your entertainment news. That's all for this week's edition of The Core News. We will be back next Monday at 7 p.m. with more of that news that you love so much. In addition to our regular Core News segments, we will have some answers for you on why people are so upset in Egypt. We hear about the protests, turning off cell service, stopping the trains. But we're going to talk some about what exactly Egyptians are hoping to get out of this protest, except, of course, for a new president. If you have any comments or questions or suggestions, maybe things you'd like to hear more about on the Core News, well, please tell us. You can send your email to news at thecore.fm. The Core News has been brought to you by Amy Bronstein. Yashwanth Manjanath Norton Nana The Sherman Tank Rebecca Berkowitz Stephen Yannick and Mindy Hoffman You've been listening to The Core News Streaming and podcasting at thecore.fm On 90.3 The Core